preach Psalm 139, and if, if you have to have a placeholder just for your own sake, you know, my second favorite psalm is Psalm 103, so just hold on to that, and we'll see what happens. He says, okay, well, that's what you're going to preach, Psalm 103, and I was kind of playing, and it, it sort of got etched in that uh, I was going to preach Psalm 103, and so uh, I'm coming to Psalm 103 with you today, um, not half-heartedly at all, but kind of playfully. It's kind of fun how we got uh, to, to this place. It is uh, one of my favorite parts of the Bible, parts of Scripture. And I want to invite you there, if you, if you have your Bible, to go to Psalm 103. And if not, to, to look here on, uh, on the screen. This is a, a psalm that is a, is a sinner's psalm. And, and I think that part of the reason why I love it so much is because I fit really well in the category of sinner. Uh, one commentator says that this psalm is the favorite hymn of the sinner. It's, it's the favorite hymn of the sinner, so says one person. And so uh, as we read this together, uh, have, that, have that in your mind this morning. I'm going to trouble you because I might not get you to talk too much this morning to read this with me so I can hear your voices. Uh, so uh, if you don't like to read, uh, do it anyway. And if you like to read fast, slow down. If you read slow, speed up. Let's read this together. Psalm 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels. Praise the Lord. 
everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. This is God's word for us. For uh, many people, if not most people, songs have the power to uh, echo and to repeat truths and feelings that that are both life-giving and life-sustaining. Christians alone have written more than 500,000 hymnals in our history speaking to how powerful song is in the Christian tradition. Songs give people life. They give us energy. They give us hope. No matter whether we're humming a tune or whistling, uh, waiting for time to pass by, or moaning and groaning in the midst of sorrow and despair, or screaming to the tops of our lungs at our favorite band's concerts, songs, uh, they, they, they give us the ability to communicate how we feel, our deepest feelings. African-Americans in the United States, African-Americans in our United States history have pulled from songs and from music throughout our history. We have pulled from that tradition of Negro spirituals, those songs from anonymous, unnamed slaves that, that speak all the way from the depths of degradation to uh, the height of promise and future. The biblical people of Israel have formed in the Bible, in in the scriptures, this hymn book called the Psalms. From from the time they traveled from bondage in Egypt to when God gave them the law to when they created a temple and dedicated a temple throughout Israel's history, songs have been instrumental in sustaining faith and communicating truth and feeling. A couple of weeks ago, I went to, uh, and some of you are there, actually, I went to the Underground Lounge and uh, went to go hear uh, Aphorism. Aphorism is uh, one of the artists in our church, the artist also known as Josh Powell. And uh, yes, Aphorism was performing and... uh, I was there and Margot and I were sitting there in the lounge and uh, before, before they started there was a sound check and Margot and I were both talking about how uh, neither one of us understands thrash. And I didn't know uh, there was a such thing called thrash. Some of you may be familiar with this genre of music. But apparently thrash is music that, uh, uh, apparently it is music. Uh, it is music that is uh, full of instruments, uh, t- screaming instruments, and, uh, and not so much lyrics. And there are lyrics, but you can't quite understand what uh, the lyrics are. And so we were there ready to hear aphorism, and, and they were doing a sound check, and the the headlining group, which was not aphorism, was there and they were, they were rehearsing uh, and they weren't 
thrashing or they weren't, I don't know the verb for thrash. I don't know if you thrash or if you do thrash or if you sing thrash, but they, they weren't exactly thrashing, but I couldn't understand what they were saying either. And so, cause they were screaming and, and I was sitting there and I remember something that Josh told me. Josh said to me, he said, I want you to come. He invited our small group. He invited some of you and from the tech team and so forth. He said, I want you to come so that you can see uh, my target group. I want you to come and see the people who I'm trying to reach. And so there I am sitting at the bar. I'm sitting in Margo. We've talked about thrash and, and I'm sitting, I'm thinking everybody who's here is targeted to be here. I should take some comfort that these people are targeted to be here. And I'm grateful that aphorism was actually really good. Um, the, he, Josh was great. If you have not heard him, make him sing again because the rest of the stuff I don't know, but Josh and aphorism was good. But, but the point that I'm trying to make is all kinds of people get targeted with all kinds of song, all kinds of music, all kinds of music reaches us at different levels in different places. And whether we're talking about thrash, whether we're talking about uh, uh, what, what Kathy, uh, Josh's wife, calls uh, difficult listening music, whether we're talking about instrumental or jazz, Miles or John Coltrane, what, whether we're talking about gospel or classical, music has as a way of reaching us in our deepest places. The Psalms were originally written not to be said, not to be recited, but to be sang. And, and, and this psalm that we're coming to this morning, Psalm 103, is a psalm of remembrance. It is a psalm that allows us to hear what praise sounds like from people who remember what God has done. Praise is a response to what God does. And when we come to Psalm 103, we're seeing a musician write down lyrics that that have at the core what God has done, who God is and what God has done. There are 22 lines in the the Hebrew for this psalm, a line for each alphabet in the Hebrew Hebrew language. And, And the writer here is trying to be comprehensive, trying to include everything everything he can to express the acts of God and the character of God. His praise, Israel's praise here, is born out of memory. These words are not abstract, they're not rootless, but they are grounded in the work of God, in the character of God, and in the activity of God, the one who uh, redeems our lives from death, the psalmist says, who loves us as a a father loves his children. When I started uh, preparing for this this message, I uh, pulled up this passage on my computer and uh, highlighted in my in my program all of the, the the words in Psalm 103 that talk about something that God is doing and 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 it became clear very quickly that Psalm 103 is not about the writer's failures Psalm 103 is not about David's uh, issues not about David's sins not about 
about David's problems, but, but the writer here is pointing over and over again to the acts of God, to the character and the quality of God. Uh, uh, Jamie, put the, put the scripture back up. Let's look again at these words that talk about this God. Just look down these passages and, and look for the words that talk about what God is doing and what God is not doing. In the psalmist's words, God forgives, God heals, God redeems, crowns, renews, God gives, God reveals. The scripture says God does not deal harshly with us. God does not get angry quickly, does not constantly accuse us. God has removed our sins. God has had compassion on us, knows us intimately. God has extended salvation. The Lord made the heavens, rules over everything. This song is a kind of scorecard for God. This psalm is, is, is a reminder of what God does. The psalmist is, is doing what, what Pastor Peter in the intro talked about, and that is testifying. The psalmist is giving testimony over and over again to what God has done. This psalm, friends, helps us see God well. The psalm doesn't really help us see our own human uh, brokenness and wickedness, although that is there, although there are statements about our frailty, our humanity, and sin and iniquity. That is in the psalm, but more pronounced than anything is the character and the activity of God. The psalmist is testifying. He is doing what... uh, song that we used to sing says, I believe I'll testify while I have a chance. I believe I'll testify while I have a chance. I believe I'll testify while I have a chance for I may not have this chance anymore. The psalm here is testifying to a God who redeems, who saves, who heals, who crowns, who gives, who reveals. last few weeks in our previous sermon series, we've had times for us to, to speak up. And I've gotten a little used to that. So I'm a little spoiled now to a church that talks. And so I, I want to I invite you again, not uh, to have mics, but, but I want you to testify this morning. I want, I want you to say what it is you remember about God. If you were writing a psalm like Psalm 103, if you were using words like this psalmist is using, what kinds of things, church, would you say? Perfect love. Perfect love. Huh? Faithful. Patient. Giving of joy. Giving of joy. Testify. What else? Provider and reason for hope. Reason of hope. Yes. Transformer. Transformer. Daniel said that my life looks like a mess while I'm living it, but I look backwards and see where God was sovereign. Testify, church. Uh, 
constant. Our healer, our restorer. How would you testify? Creator. Thanks, John. Father. Justifier, unconditional love. Strategic and, say that, Kevin. Savior. Rock. Protector. The lifter of my head. Provider of peace. Provider of peace. Intentional. One more. Sense of humor. Sense of humor. Huh. Amen. Amen. A sense of humor. Anybody here? Anybody here a fan of Lost? Yes. I love you all. I love you all. Um, this, this, this psalm here is, is helpful in a couple of ways that are directly applicable. And one of them is that it's just helpful. And uh, the psalm comes in handy, not to be used, but, but, in a, but in a real spiritual sense. And I thought about lost um, as I was thinking about this psalm. And uh, Katie, Katie Sanford and David Swanson actually recommended that I get into lost, like four weeks ago. And so, you know, I like went and got season one and two and I was just stuck to my couch. Just, you know, uh, Dawn will just about confirm exactly what I'm saying. And uh, watch. And so I'm looking for season three right now. So if you have it, be nice to your pastor, please. And let me catch up. Um, but uh, anyhow, anyhow, right. Um, you know, I started thinking if, if I got stranded on a Hawaiian island, you know, um, who would I want to be on my plane on, on the island with me? And uh, one of the people that, uh, and, and this, is, this is not just because we were actually on a Hawaiian island together, uh, but one of the people that has to be on my plane is Carlos Dotson. Carlos Dotson, I could say a whole lot about him. I really could. But one thing that I would say about him is he is one of the most resourceful people that I have ever met in my entire life. Uh, Carlos, uh, I've never met anybody who carries in their back pocket a thousand tools, you know. And uh, he's like a he's like a black MacGyver. And uh, there he is. Nobody's really sure what Carlos does most of the time, you know, he's kind of mysterious, you know, we know he's been in the armed forces, we know he works for the United States government, you know. Um, I have this feeling that one day, 60, 70 years from now, we're all going to find out that Carlos was, you know, anyhow, he's born identity or something. Uh, But Carlos, Carlos is amazingly resourceful. And, uh, and, and, and here's the metaphor. Here's the metaphor. This psalm is Carlos Dotson. Well, not exactly. I mean, but, 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 but as, as resourceful in a sense as this guy would be on a Hawaiian island, this psalm is food and drink for your soul. And I think if you had to give away 149 numbers in the psalm and keep one, my vote goes to Psalm 103. You know why? 
Because wherever you are, God finds you in this psalm. If you are extremely discouraged, can I tell you something? If you're, if you're battered for one reason or another, can I tell you that this psalm can be food and fuel and help for you? Maybe you're here and you're in a relationship that is going sour. And you think that who you are is wrapped up in the success or failure of that relationship. Can I tell you with this psalmist's words that God remembers what you are made of? God remembers how valuable the stuff that created you actually is without the relationship, without the job, without the bid being accepted, without the contract being granted. There is something in this psalm for people who believe the press of everybody other than God. There's a phrase that says, God remembers how weak we are. Now, there are two sides to that phrase because uh, one side of God remembering how weak we are is the negative side. And that is that God, it's a, it's a very humbling passage, right? You're made of dust. You're made of dirt. And so God remembers that you're weak. God remembers you so that when you get lifted up in pride, that God remembers how weak you remember. God has the facts on me. God knows I'm a sinner. God knows I'm in need of grace. But there's a positive side to that phrase, God remembers how weak we are. And that is the word how. God remembers how weak. You may not be as weak, friends, as your circumstances tell you. You may not be as weak as the evaluation at your job tells you. You may be weak, but you may not be that weak. And the beauty that God has is God has the information about exactly how strong and how weak you are. Comes in handy. The second thing about this psalm is that it says something about community and how we engage each other, how we work together, how we live together. And I draw upon Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar who talks about uh, this psalm and he's talking about biblical community. And he says that biblical community knows that pain cannot be handled alone. In isolation, the power of pain grows more ominous and more hurtful. The pain must be handled, he says, in community. It is the community, however small it is, that says finally pain must be submitted to the power of the holy God to whom this psalm refers to. You know what this means? This means that when we're in pain as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're living together, struggling sometimes, wrestling sometimes, we get to be for each other reminding, reminders of the truth of God's word. We get to be psalmists who sing for one another like our choir standing next to each other, singing parts for one another. We get to be, when I'm off key, the song leader, the worship leader who says, this is your part. When you forget, this is what you sing. There's another song that opens 
by saying that God's name is our favorite word. His mighty works are all we talk about. In, in, in the church, in the family of God, God's name is our favorite word. God's mighty acts, God's mighty works are all we talk about. So that when we are in need of hearing the mighty acts of God, we come to the church, we come to the community, we come to each other, and we're reminded of what the psalm says. The beautiful thing about a song is that songs belong in the throats of singers. I mean, they're, they're personal initially. Somebody writes them. One person sings them. But the beauty of your favorite songs and my favorite melodies are that it's wrong to keep them in the mouths of the, in the, mouths of the singer or the writer. We, we sing them precisely so other people can experience the beauty of the song itself. This psalm moves in the first part from the individual aspects of a person's relationship to the corporate aspects of Israel's life. And, and, and the Hebrew musician writes from his memory of a God who forgives all of his sins, who heals all of his diseases. And in his words are images of a God who removes some things and adds other things. Images of a God who removes sickness, disease, and death and adds by crowning righteousness, gives mercy, shows and reveals himself. God is, is in this writer's words, giving and taking away. And we're seeing images of God. At a Bible study not too long ago that Andrea Kaiser was leading uh, with, with our single moms, she had us go through an exercise where we read uh, and reflected together on one of the Psalms. It wasn't this one, uh, but one of the Psalms. And, and uh, she, had us, she had us rewrite the Psalms in our own words. And for some of you, uh, while we go through this sermon series, uh, your challenge needs to be rewriting some of these songs in your own words. And, and I wonder, just as you testified a few moments ago, whether you can find yourself, whether I can find myself, like the psalmist, the Hebrew poet, coming to, uh, coming to your desk, coming to your prayer life, coming to, to your quiet uh, time and rewriting language that talks about the activity of God, that, that helps you remember why God is worth your praise. I wonder what you would write. I wonder how unique your language would be. The psalm talks about sin. And the Hebrew writer here actually uses all three Hebrew words for sin. He uses 
sin, iniquity, transgression. He's very comprehensive in scope when, when he writes these things about God. He talks about sin and how God handles our sin, what God does with our sin. And uh, I, I've heard theology that says God doesn't, doesn't interact with sin. God doesn't touch sin. God is too holy to be. Now, when you look at the incarnation, when you look at Jesus, this is God's answer to sin. Jesus is God's answer to sin. Not that he becomes sinful, but that he takes on uh, our, our sinful disposition. He takes on humanity. And in this psalm, we see steadfast love talked about. We hear and read the echoes of God's constant love, God's faithful love in the presence of our iniquity, our transgression, our sin. And as the psalmist defines it, as the psalmist talks about it, and what we see later in the example of Jesus, God's answer to our brokenness, to our iniquity, to our transgression is love that does not go away. And somehow, and this is amazing, this is amazing when I think about God, is Jesus deals with our sin, separates us from our sin without separating us from himself. Somehow, God separates our sin as far as the east from the west without separating himself from us. When I read those words, how God separates our sin from uh, as far as the east is from the west, my initial response, it always is, uh, is something like, I wonder if God is standing on State Street. And uh, in Chicago, for the most part, throughout the city, the dividing line between East and West is State Street. And so in my sort of sarcastic, cynical, broken self, uh, I'm looking at God and I'm saying, sure, uh, you will separate my sins as far as the East is from the West. But are you standing on State Street? Because if you're standing on State Street, you can see East and you can see West. And so I'm saying, yeah, right, God. How good is that? And somehow, God over and over, like a gardener's trial, just works this passage into me. Digs, pulls up, plants east from the west. Do you see my brokenness? And, and some, somewhere along the way, I get these reminders that God doesn't see direction like I see direction. That, that in God's kingdom, in God's economy, in God's city, in God's realm, east and west doesn't look like it does in Chicago. That's hard for me. Because I can't really fathom a God as much as I want to believe it, as much as I want to take it in and hold it. A God who doesn't see my sin. A God who doesn't treat my sins like I would treat you and your sin. 
The beauty of this psalm is that it brings us back, not to our brokenness and how we would treat our sins. But it goes over and over the character of God, the the activity of God, who is qualitatively different from me and you. The singer uses an image of God, a metaphor for God that uh, he and his readers would be familiar with. He says that God uh, is is, uh, like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I I know that that metaphor uh, is, is difficult for some folks. What metaphor, ladies and gentlemen? Because in the psalm it is a metaphor. Would you use for God? How do you think about God who is tender and compassionate? When you imagine, when you image God who is tender, God who is compassionate, what comes to your mind? I, I, I I think of a lady, you all don't know her, her name is Marcia. Uh, she lives in the neighborhood. She has a son named Nehemiah. And uh, she, every time I see them, he's like six feet ahead of her. He's running, he's going, he's doing it. And you know how you look at a parent and you just know that they're, you know, about this close to losing it? Every time I see her, she's right there, about this close. And um, when I think of compassion, I think of her. Because I've never seen her lose it. I think of Libby Van Opstel, Libby, our our warming center director, uh, in our ministry center. I think of her and how she responds to the needs of people in our church community and meeting those needs and trying and not always being able to meet those needs. When I think of tender and compassion, I think of Alan Frost, actually. Uh, This is really weird uh, because, hey, Alan is here. You're in church today. Ah. I wouldn't have included you if you were going to be here. Uh, no, but I think of Alan. You know why? Because Alan has this way uh, of, of coming around just to say, hey, how you doing? And that's really all he wants. I think of, I think of the comment uh, and I, uh, that, that Layla made last week, speaking her truth in our church, speaking truth in love. I think of compassion when I hear her saying how difficult it is to be a part of our church right now. Who do you think of? What do you think of? I want to suggest to you, th- these, these, are, these are sort of not quite scattered, but scattered imaginations on my part. But you know what the psalm does? Is it evokes us to imagine God. How do you do it? What helps you see God like this psalmist sees God? What helps you see a God who handles your sin but who loves you unconditionally? The best songs, the best artists don't just speak our feelings and communicate our emotions. The best artists, the best music 
helps us to write our own, inspires us to sing ourselves. And so for you, church, my question is, if you were singing from memory, if you were trying to write a psalm of your own, trying to write a song about your God, if you were trying to talk about a God whose love eclipses sin, whose love is worth remembering, what kinds of words would you use? Worship team, come on back. Communion servers, come on up. This psalm is, is, is evocative. It makes us think through how we would do this thing called song. There are a couple of times in Psalm 103 where the writer uses a phrase, those who fear the Lord or those who remember his covenant. And, and when you see those phrases three or four times in the psalm, you may be tempted to think that uh, it is the fear of the Lord or it is uh, the fact that these folks are righteous, that God has remembered their sin. But the truth of the matter is they are defining themselves as broken, as sinful, as people who need God to remove their sin as far as the east is from the west. So their fear of the Lord does not earn them God's steadfast love. Their fear of the Lord is their response to God's steadfast love. And so for you, as you uh, sit and as you think about Psalm 103, my question is, can you remember God's steadfast love in your life? God's justice, God's mercy, God's compassion. This morning, we will uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And uh, I'm going to invite you in a few moments to do that. But I want you to bow your heads. Bow your heads. And hear uh, this invitation to this table this morning. After the invitation, I'll give you time to pray and then I'll read a passage and our worship team will lead us in song. Come to this sacred table. Not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Spend a few moments, people of God, praying for the Spirit, praying, preparing your heart to come.
Hear the words of our Lord Jesus as they are delivered by Paul. For I have received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The table is ready and set for you this morning. We take communion by intinction, which means we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and eat the bread. When you're ready, come. The peace of God which passes all understanding keeps your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of the almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and be with you always. God bless you. Amen. Is what I do.